And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And you can't have Brooklyn without talking New York City consolidation of all the five boroughs into the five boroughs. And uh, there is no better expert than the Brooklyn Borough historian, Ron Schweiger, to come on the show and help explain all the machinations of that era, of a, the mistake of 98, as they like to say, Ron. Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Sam. Great to be with you again. So what, where do we start with this? I mean, do you have to basically like start at the beginning of all of New York City history to get to that point of consolidation in terms of explaining it to people? Um, pretty much, like in the Bible, it's in the beginning, and uh, the beginning of New York City started actually in the 1600s. So we're going to start with the 1600s when the Dutch arrived and settled in what we now call New York City, uh, Brooklyn, and the other five boroughs. Um, but we're going to concentrate mostly on Brooklyn, but we will be touching um, in various points in the next, I don't know, 40 or 45 minutes or so, um, other boroughs, but mostly on Brooklyn. Um, When the Dutch arrived in the early 1600s, they settled here, um, besides in lower Manhattan, which of course became Amsterdam, um, in in Brooklyn. And they settled in what became five Dutch towns or villages. And there was also one English town. We'll get to that in a second. The Dutch towns were Brooklyn, which is B-R-E-U-C-K-E-L-E-N, from the village of Brooklyn in the Netherlands, where they came from. Another town was Boswick. Another was Vlachbos. And I'll explain what the boss is in a minute. Then there was New Amersfoort and New Utrecht. Those were the five Dutch towns. The one English town was Gravesend. And again, we'll get to that in a second. Um, Bos, in Boswick and Vlachbos, Bos in Dutch means woods. So Boswick, B-O-S-W-I-J-K, the J is silent, meant town in the woods. Vlachbos was a wooded plain. Okay? New Amersfoort was the village of Amersfoort in the Netherlands where they came from. New Utrecht is named after Utrecht in the Netherlands. Okay? And Gravesend, the English town, was named uh, by a woman named Lady Deborah Moody. She came from England, but first, first of all, she was pretty much kicked out of England. She practiced a religion as, known as, a, she was an Anabaptist. And of course, mostly in England, they were Protestant, so they frowned upon it. So she took the next sailing ship west and uh, ended up in Rhode Island, which was an English uh, colony. And Roger Williams, who was the head of that colony, not Roger Williams, the piano player, those of you who remember him. um, So they weren't too fond of her either. But then she learned that the Dutch were very liberal. So she took another ship and came to what we now call Brooklyn and came to um, here, and the Dutch granted her permission to establish an English town on the Dutch land that the Dutch had settled. And uh, she called it Gravesend, or Gravesend, um, after the southern resort area of Gravesend in England. As it turned out, Gravesend, Brooklyn, became one of the biggest resorts in the United States later on. It was Brighton Beach, Manhattan Beach, Sheepshead Bay, and Coney Island. And at the turn of the century, that was the biggest and most popular resort in the United States. And people came from England, from, from, from uh, Europe as well, to, to see the resort area of Brooklyn. So anyhow, these were the five Dutch and one English town. Six towns, okay? That was in the early to almost middle 1600s. In 1664, um, the King of England sent ships to the Dutch property here and um, with the idea of taking it over. Now, Peter Stuyvesant, who was the governor of New Amsterdam at the time, he wanted to fight. He said, there's no way they're going to do this. But the Dutch didn't have an army here. They just recently came. 
There were farmers, there were craftspeople and so on. Yeah, they had guns because they had to go into the forest to, to get their, their food and their clothing, you know, the skins of the animals. Um, that's what they found here. And, of course, they bought the land, the Dutch bought the land, right, bought in quotation marks from the local Indians here in Brooklyn. There were two main tribes in Brooklyn, the Canarsis and the Rockaways. And those of you who are listening, you know, of course, Canarsie is a neighborhood in Brooklyn today. And um, way in the eastern part of Brooklyn, you have uh, Rockaway Avenue, uh, Rockaway Boulevard, and you also have in Queens, the Rockaways, the beaches at beach areas. Okay. So these were the two main Indian tribes here in Brooklyn. And uh, so uh, Colonel Richard Nichols was the commander of the Dutch, of, of the English ships that came in 1664. And the locals, the Dutch pleaded with Peter Stuyvesant, don't fight. They're going to kill us. They're going to burn us out. We, we, there's no way we can win. So he was convinced. So Colonel Nichols came in with the British troops. They took over New Amsterdam and the Dutch areas. Without one shot being fired, no blood was spilled. Well, there was no Internet back then, of course. So Colonel Nichols sent a ship back to England, which took about another three and a half months to get there, to tell the king that finally we have taken over and New Amsterdam is now ours. Well, the king was so pleased that he gave this new, quote-unquote, conquered land to a relative of his. And the relative was the Duke of York in northern England. Well, the Duke of York didn't want his property to be called New Amsterdam, which was Dutch. So he called it New York, of course. And that's how New York got its name in 1664. We're now going to jump from 1664 to 1683. By that time... All of what we now call Brooklyn was designated by the English as King's County, named after the King of England, of course. That was in 1683. We're now going to jump about 90 years, 1776. And those of you who know your history, that was the year of the Revolutionary War that uh, created, of course, the United States of America. But the very first battle, the very first battle of that war, following the signing of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, was called the Battle of, initially was called the Battle of Long Island, because it took place on the western end of Long Island. And if you know your geography, watch the western end of Long Island? Brooklyn, of course. So today it is known as the Battle of Brooklyn. And this battle took place primarily um, in the Flappish area, in the area we now call Prospect Park, uh, Gowanus, all right, those areas were, is where the, 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 battle, the main battle took place. And if you go to the Park Slope Gowanus area, um, particularly Fifth Avenue and Third Street, there is a park there. And in that park, there's a large old stone house. And it's, today it's known as the Old Stone House. It was, that's where the Battle of Brooklyn took place right there. That was in August of 1776. 400 Maryland troops fought valiantly against well over two or 3,000 British and Hessian troops. The British took over the house. The Marylanders took it back. The British took it back. Well, to make a long story short, we lost that battle, and 256 of the Marylanders were killed. In Prospect Park today, there is a monument to those very brave um, uh, Maryland soldiers. And uh, again, that was the very first battle following the Declaration of Independence signing. Incidentally, if you go to, into the neighborhood of Brooklyn called Williamsburg, and that's com coming up shortly, I'll, I'll mention that in a minute, but about, 20, I think, 22 streets in Williamsburg are named after signers of the Declaration of Independence, okay? Next, we come to 1834. By 1834, um, this is um, almost about 65 years or so after the Battle of Brooklyn. Um, by the way, we lost that battle. But, of course, eventually, we eventually won that war. Otherwise, we would be speaking with a British accent right now. 
By 1834, the biggest population of Kings County was what we now call downtown Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Heights area where Borough Hall is located, uh, the Red Hook area. Um, that was uh, the most populous part of uh, the county of Kings County. And so that the town fathers decided to ask uh, the state capital uh, up in Albany for a charter to become a city. And it was granted. So in 1834, the city of Brooklyn was established. Now, when I say the city of Brooklyn, that does not include all of Kings County. It only includes what was originally the town of Brooklyn, the, all the way up by the Brooklyn Heights, the downtown area. That was the city of Brooklyn. The remainder of Kings County in 1834 was towns, villages, and lots of farmland. Lots of farmland. Okay, we now move to 1883, the opening of the Brooklyn Bridge. That started an increase in population in Brooklyn. The only way to get from the city of Brooklyn to the city of New York, which was Manhattan, was a ferry across the East River, uh, or swim, but that was not an option, of course. So that was in 1883. Now the Brooklyn Bridge enabled a lot of the lower part of Manhattan, which was overcrowded tenements, to easily, without taking a ferry, come into Brooklyn, where a lot of farmland was starting to increasingly be purchased by developers. By 1883, there were already steam railroads crisscrossing parts of Brooklyn. And developers saw the handwriting on the wall to make money. So they started to buy up some of the farmland. And again, keep in mind, farming was seasonal. So during the winter months, the farmers really weren't making any money. And they saw profitable to sell their farmland to these developers. So the already established railroads started to expand with the increased population to establish new communities. So the population of Brooklyn began to grow. Okay. And, and new, na new neighborhoods started to open up as well, like Bensonhurst, as the farmland uh, expanded. Uh, the Benson family farmed that land for over 200 years. And uh, a gentleman uh, by the name of Mr. Lynch purchased the land, but the Benson family said, we'll only sell it to you if you name your new community after us. So that's how Bensonhurst got its name. And in German, her, uh, Hurst is a, a, a location, a village, a town. Um, the same thing, um, what's the other town I'm trying to think of? I'll think of it in a minute. So the population was growing. Now, across the river, you had the city of New York. And incidentally, by 1874, what we now call the Bronx, part of the Bronx was annexed to the city of New York in 1874. So the city of New York in 1874 became Manhattan and a part of Westchester County, which was now part of the, the Bronx. Okay. By the 18, early 1890s, the rest of the Bronx, Bronx County, joined New York City. So by, the, by 1894, uh, or around the early 1890s, New York City was Manhattan and the Bronx. The remainder of uh, the area, the other counties, was Kings County, Queens County, Richmond County, which was Staten Island, and Queens County. Okay. Now we come to the year 1890. Here's where we start where the big thinkers of New York are thinking about consolidating each of the, of the counties into one big city. Now, this can't be done overnight. Now, before I continue, Sam, any questions? No, I think uh, it, it's uh, it's just so fascinating to uh, to hear. I mean, you know, I, please. I, I I think that um, the questions will certainly arise, but I, I think uh, by all means, march forward. Okay. Now, in 1890, commission was established. It was called 
the Greater New York Commission. And headlining this commission in 1890 was a gentleman that most people never heard of. His name was Andrew Haskell Green. Okay? Mr. Green was a very important individual in the history of New York City, and yet most people never heard of him. Mr. Green helped establish Central Park, the Museum of Natural History, the New York Public Library, and, and numerous other things that still exist today in New York City. So remember that name, Andrew Haskell Green. And by the way, the only commemoration for Mr. Green is in Central Park. It's a bench with his name on it, commemorating Mr. Green. He deserves a lot more than that. Okay? And by the way, Mr. Green eventually was shot and killed because of mistaken identity. That's very unfortunate. There's all history behind that. We won't get into that now. Okay. So who were the members of this Greater New York Commission that uh, was trying to think up ways to get each of the five counties into one big city. So Mr. Green was the headliner of this. Then you had a gentleman from Brooklyn named Cyrus P. Smith. And also in Brooklyn, you had a gentleman named Mr. James S.T. Stranahan. Now, Mr. Stranahan was very instrumental in the establishment of Prospect Park. All right? Uh, we'll get to the park a little in a minute. So you had uh, Cyrus P. Smith from Brooklyn, James Stranahan from Brooklyn, and then you have an organization called the League of Loyal Citizens of Brooklyn. This was a group of people very interested in, in Brooklyn itself, all right? The Loyal Citizens of Brooklyn, the League of Loyal Citizens of Brooklyn. Then you had a name, some people uh, who are listening from Brooklyn will know this name, Calvert Vox, right? Mr. Vox and Frederick Law Olmsted they helped establish Central Park in Manhattan. But they also helped establish Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And they did Prospect Park after Central Park. And in my mind, they improved on what they did in Central Park, Prospect Park. So Calvin Vox was on this committee as well. Then you had a gentleman who I'm sure most people never heard of. He was a senator from way, way upstate New York. His name was Thomas Platt. Does that... Sound familiar, upstate New York? Well, how about Plattsburgh, New York, up near the Canadian well, of course, border? Of course. Okay. Yeah, no. That's uh, Plattsburgh right, is named yeah, after right, him. Right up. And I've never been all the way up the river that way, uh, not just on the river, but also on the north way, as they like to call it. Right, right. So he was a senator from upstate. He was a Republican, and he was known as the easygoing senator. And uh, – he was called that because he was very easy to get, a, to get along with. You can talk with him. He'll listen. He may not agree with you, but he'll never yell. He'll never scream. He was a very easy gentleman to get along with. And he was in favor of, um, of this consolidation to, to one, make one big city. Okay? Um, then we have um, part of the, this commission was the mayor of the city of Brooklyn, Mr. Frederick Worcester. Worcester is spelled W-U-R-S-T-E-R. Mayor Frederick Worcester. Okay? Mayor of Brooklyn, um, uh, late 1890s. I'm sorry, this was in 1890, 1890. Then you had the mayor of New York at that time, Mayor William Strong. Mayor William Strong. And then you had the mayor of Long Island City, Okay, um, now Long Island City had grown rapidly because just like downtown Brooklyn became the city of Brooklyn, Long Island City is directly across the East River from New York City. That's why the population there grew. So Long Island City was a mayor, and the mayor at that time was a gentleman named Patrick Gleason. I'm going to get to him in just a second. I left something out before. Um, get after the Brooklyn, after uh, the city of Brooklyn. Uh, was established in 1834. Um, about uh, 17 years later, in 1851, Williamsburg was a growing community. In fact, it grew so rapidly 
that by 1851, it had about 35,000 people just in the village of Williamsburg. Now, keep in mind, Williamsburg ended with the letter H, okay? 1851, Williamsburg ended with the letter H, B-U-R-G-H it ended with. Four years later, in 1855, the mayor of the city of Williamsburg, oh, by the way, in 1851, Williamsburg asked Albany for a charter to become a city, and it was granted. So you had, in 1851, the city of New York, the city of Brooklyn, the city of Williamsburg, okay? But four years later, in 1855, the mayor of the city of Williamsburg was corrupt. Not much has changed in today's politics, okay? So the mayor of the city of Brooklyn said to him, listen, it's likely you're going to be indicted. Give up your mayorship, and Brooklyn will annex the city of Williamsburg. Well, that's exactly what happened. So in 1855, the city of Brooklyn, you might say, became, uh, I don't know, imperialistic, and it annexed the city of Williamsburg, the town of, of um, Greenpoint, and the town of Bushwick, okay? Um, and I forgot to mention earlier that the Dutch names earlier of the five towns, Brooklyn, of course, became Brooklyn by the English, Boswick, town in the woods, became Bushwick by the English. Vlockboss became Flatbush. New Amersfoort, completely different name, became Flatlands, where I live now. New Utrecht, well, the name Utrecht still remains the same. The only thing left of the town of New Utrecht in a name is New Utrecht Avenue, New Utrecht High School, and the New Utrecht Reformed Church which was established in 1677. The rest of the town of New Utrecht was divided up into many little communities, such as um, um, Bay Ridge, Fort Hamilton, um, um, what are the others, Borough Park, and so on. Those, those neighborhoods today were all part of New Utrecht. Okay? And of course, you had Gravesend, the English town. So that's how the Neighborhoods today got their names from the original Dutch. Okay, so Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and Bushwick were annexed into the city of Brooklyn in 1855. Now, in the 1890s, some of the other Brooklyn towns, you know, the Kings County towns, were also starting to get annexed. Um, so this is what happened. Mayor... Patrick Gleason of Long Island City, he had glorious dreams. He wanted to become the very first mayor of the new consolidated city of New York. He wanted to be the first mayor of this new city. So he campaigned in Queens, all right, Long Island City is in Queens, vigorously he campaigned to get the vote out. So when, the vote, when eventually we have to vote on this, Get that vote out. Vote for consolidation so I can be the new mayor. Well, that never happened to, to poor Mr. Gleason. He never became the first mayor. All right? So in 1892, the Greater New York Commission, they had a vote amongst themselves, all these people of the commission, on whether or not they should put the vote to the people to vote on. And in 1892, they said, no, we're not ready yet. I don't think they are ready for this vote. The following year, 1893, they also said, let's put to the vote. They said, not, not yet. Well, 1894. By that time in 1894, Atbush and one of the other Dutch towns was annexed into the city of Brooklyn. And finally, they said, well, you, you know what? This is happening. Let's say, yes, we can put it to the vote. Well, it, two years later, in 1896, the remaining two towns of Kings County that were not part of the city of Brooklyn, Flatlands and the English town Gravesend, they were annexed into the city of Brooklyn. So by 1896, all of Kings County, all of the six towns, we're now the city of Brooklyn. 
So the city of Brooklyn as a whole, Kings County, only remained, only remained for um, about a year and a half. All right. So now the vote to the people took place in 1897. Well, keep in mind, only men had the right to vote. So with only the men voting, uh, the vote wouldn't be as great as for the whole population at that time, since the women did not have the right to vote. Now, let me see if I well, left why anything we, why out. Why don't we pause right there? Why don't we, I mean, this is just a speculative question, obviously, and a hypothetical one. But do you think the vote goes as it is, uh, more or less, if women did have the right to vote? Do you think that, let's say just with Brooklyn, do you think that uh, there would have been more sensibility uh, to being independent? Um, what are you talking about whether Brooklyn would be independent? Is that what you're asking? No, no, no. Do you think just spec, you know, your own speculation, obviously, of a hypothetical, had women had the right to vote in 1896, in 1897, uh, would Brooklyn still be its own city right now? Okay. I believe, this is my personal feeling, is that, well, let me explain the reasoning of the vote, and then we can be able to answer that, your question better, Okay. Um, um, now, I had emailed you the actual voting numbers, so I'm staring at that, at that vote numbers right now. I'm going to mention these numbers um, 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 borough by borough or county by county because the vote took place in 1897. And um, so in Manhattan and the Bronx, remember, Manhattan and the Bronx was the city of New York at that time. The numbers are the following. In favor of consolidating, 969,333. Against consolidation, 59,959. So the vote in the city of New York, Manhattan and the Bronx, passed by 909,374 votes. And, of course, that was the most populous of the counties, uh, the Bronx and Manhattan together. The vote passed by 909,000 uh, and a couple of hundred. So overwhelmingly in favor of consolidating. The vote in Queens. Now, keep in mind, Queens was still relatively rural. There still was a lot of farmland, and the most of the population was in the city of Long Island City. Okay? So the numbers in Queens are much, much less. Okay? So here are the numbers in Queens. 7,712 in favor of consolidation, 4,741 against. So the vote in Queens passed by almost 3,000 votes, 2,971 to be exact. So it was, well, considering the small number of votes cast altogether, which was about uh, roughly 12,000 votes, it passed by almost 3,000 votes. Okay, we now move to Staten Island. As you, as you can see, what I'm doing, Brooklyn's going to be last. The vote in Staten Island: five thousand five hundred and thirty-one yes, one thousand five hundred and five against. So the vote in Staten Island passed by four thousand and twenty-six votes, overwhelmingly in favor of consolidation. That was a total of about uh, about seven thousand votes altogether. 4,000 in favor. So, so far, it's an overwhelmingly in favor of consolidation for Manhattan, the Bronx, Queens, and Staten Island. Now we come to Brooklyn, Sam, and anyone who's listening. Here are the numbers for Brooklyn. 64,744 for consolidation. 64,467 against consolidation. It passed by only 277 votes to consolidate. That would, uh, if this was uh, Donald Trump, of course, there'd be a recount, no question about it. All right? It passed by only 277 votes. I'll explain why it passed 
in, in a second. To answer your question, if women were given the right to vote, would it have passed in Brooklyn? I would probably say no. And Brooklyn may have remained as an independent city at that time. And the reason is this. At the stroke of midnight, uh, December 31st, 1897, and keep in mind, one second after midnight, Brooklyn would no longer be an independent city. It would become a borough of the greatest city of New York. At that stroke of midnight, thousands of people, Brooklynites, were gathered on the steps and in the, the uh, patio area in front of Brooklyn City Hall, all right, because at one second after midnight, it was going to become Brooklyn Borough Hall, which is still standing today. And with these thousands of people gathered, there were a couple of speeches, and one of these speeches was by a poet named William Colton. And I don't have the words of um, the entire poem. The last, two, the last line of his poem about how everyone felt about Brooklyn remaining independent. And it says here, um, it, he writes, Brooklyn it is, and Brooklyn are we. And they all cheered. The bell in the tower of Brooklyn uh, City Hall rang the stroke of midnight, and now Brooklyn became a borough of the city of New York. Now, why did the vote pass by only 277 votes? It was because primarily of the farmers in the eastern and southern part of Brooklyn, which was still pretty rural and lots of farmland. Brooklyn was getting a lot of its water from um, coming in from Long Island. Um, Valley Stream Park had a reservoir, which I believe is a lake now in Valley Stream. Right? Uh, Hempstead had a reservoir in Long Island. Some of this water was being piped um, along the, the waterfront, Jamaica Bay and everything, um, across Queens and into Brooklyn. During times of drought in the summer, the, farm, the amount of water coming through was less and less, and the farmers were having a problem if they're not getting enough rain. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, if you drive on the Belt Parkway, you know there's an exit for um, um, uh, North, I think it's Conduit Boulevard or Conduit Avenue North, Conduit Avenue South, and these are streets that run parallel with the Belt Parkway. Well, watch a conduit. A conduit is a pipe that handles water supply, okay? And what about the aqueduct racetrack? racetrack? What's an aqueduct? It's a water supply. Well, the conduits were the water pipes bringing the water into Brooklyn. Well, the farmers wanted to be connected to the New York City water supply, which is from upstate in the Catskills. And by the way, where do you think we get our water today? From the Catskill Reservoirs. If you've never seen it, it's gorgeous up there. Um, in the, you go to the town of uh, Shokan, New York, you have the Ashokan Reservoir. Go there in the fall when all the leaves are changing. It is gorgeous with the mountains. You have the Croton Reservoir north of the city. This is where we get our water from. So the farmers wanted modern... Uh, by the way, with the increase of the tax base with the increase of all these people, more things could be done in the boroughs. The uh, people of, of the southern part of Brooklyn, a lot of the streets were still unpaved. They didn't have the modern sewer system. They wanted to be part of the New York water supply. So with the higher tax base, more money coming in for taxes into the city of New York, more of these things could be modernized. Paved streets, modern sewer system, water supply. And this is why the vote in Brooklyn passed because of the farmers. Otherwise, Brooklyn would have remained an independent city. And that's how the consolidation of New York took place. So do you think that we'd still see some farmland had Brooklyn stayed? 
independent? <laughs> Do you think they would have maybe zoned zone that stuff out? Um, well, I did. Was, I was, did grow was some... it basically was it basically what happened inevitable? Um, yes, it would have been inevitable, absolutely, because. Uh, um, by the way, Brooklyn grew tremendously after that, because um, ten years after the Brooklyn Bridge opened, Sam. The Manhattan Bridge opened. I'm sorry, the Williamsburg Bridge opened in 1903, and and that brought a whole bunch of people from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Um, you had a lot of the Orthodox Jews and, and and the tenements of Lower Manhattan, and they started to come into Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And today, Williamsburg has a huge um, Hasidic population, and um, and then six years later, in 1909, the Manhattan Bridge opened. So you have three East River bridges coming, connecting the city of New York into Brooklyn. Okay. So, um, and this, of course, and by the way, Brooklyn Bridge originally, when it opened, had trolleys and trains on it besides the horses and wagons and pedestrians. And when the the Williamsburg and Manhattan bridges opened, they had trains on them. Um, By the 19... Late 30s and 1940s, the trolleys and trains were taken off the Brooklyn Bridge and the roadway was widened for cars. All right. Um, And today, the Williamsburg Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge still have the subway trains. All right. Um, So that's how the population of Brooklyn exploded with the opening of the three East River Bridges. Now, here are a couple of quotes, people who were for and against um, reconsolidation. Um, well, like I said, most people were for it. Um, and I wrote down these quotes. Let's see. Uh, one person in Manhattan said, um, the only thing that New York and Brooklyn have in common is the river in between that separates the two. And that, of course, was the East River. Okay. Another person in Manhattan said, and this is a quote, the only thing that Brooklyn is good for is for dying. And that was a reference to Greenwood Cemetery, which opened in 1838. There's a lot of prominent people were buried in Greenwood Cemetery. You go into Greenwood today and uh, you walk in there and go see these grave sites. Uh, Boss Tweed is buried there. So many prominent Manhattan people and Brooklyn people are buried in Greenwood Cemetery. And it's a, and incidentally, for those of you who have trouble getting out of the house during this terrible twilight zone of a uh, p- pandemic, get outside. Go to Greenwood Cemetery. Go to Prospect Park. Go to the Botanic Garden. Go to the um, Marine Park uh, Nature Trail um, by Avenue U and uh, by Marine Park. These are all outdoors. They're not greatly populated with a lot of people. And my wife and I, almost every available weekend since April, uh, my wife and I and a friend of ours, we have a map of all the hiking trails in Prospect Park. Now, most of the people who go to Prospect Park, they walk on the roads, which is crowded. Well, you get off the road and you go follow these trails in the woods and in the forest of Prospect Park. It's gorgeous. The birds, there were even chipmunks. And we saw from the spring into the fall, we saw the seasons changing. It's, it's just gorgeous. Get outside if you can and get there. Okay. Any I questions agree. about the now, consolidation? Yes. Well, um, I actually want – I wanted to bring up Walt Whitman, but first uh, I want to bring on the Brooklyn trolley blogger, Mike LeColant, who is calling us. From where in Brooklyn are you today, Mike? I am home in Bensonhurst, uh, okay. formerly – land owned by the Benson family. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Listen, do you have a farm in your backyard? <laughs> uh, a little bit of a farm, tomatoes and eggplants and basil and parsley and all that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I grew some, tom- I grew tomatoes this summer. Okay. <laughs> Mike, uh, do you have a question. I, I believe you, you may have a question. Uh no, I'll just jump in. You know, I, I've been listening along uh, on the way home. A lot of interesting things. Uh, 
Ron, clarify me, because I think this is just a matter of semantics. When you were going into the city of Brooklyn itself and the yes. remaining parts of Kings County, uh, Greenpoint, it's my understanding that's the oldest neighborhood in Brooklyn, but am I battling semantics here with uh, Greenpoint being incorporated into the city or not? Um, I would, I, you know, it, 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 it's debatable because, first of all, right along the East River of Brooklyn, where, where you have Williamsburg and Bushwick and Greenpoint, um, that became populated because of the industry that was located there. And um, and um, um, the downtown Brooklyn area, which became the city of Brooklyn, was the closest part of what today we call Brooklyn to the city of New York with a ferry. So you had the ferry connecting the city of Brooklyn to lower Manhattan, which originally, of course, was New Amsterdam. But if you go over to um, Bushwick, Williamsburg and Greenpoint, that was the industry part of Kings County. You had, and by the way, at the turn of the century, Brooklyn was the beer capital of the United States. You had, in Brooklyn, you had approximately 45 beer breweries, most of them located right along that waterfront. And Brooklyn had the best shipping lanes. You had piers where you had uh, ships coming in, docking from all over the world with spices and coffee and and all kinds of stuff. Um, In fact... In, in, in fact, in, in Greenpoint, you know the street, Java Street and India Street? Are you familiar yes, with those? Yes. Well, India Street is named after India, where the ships came from, docking with the spices from the, from the Far East. And Java is related to coffee, where ships would come in with coffee beans. And, um, and coffee was processed in Brooklyn. So you had beer, coffee, spices, um, so many different industries along the waterfront and Brooklyn products, believe it or not, because of this industry ended up in the Midwest. Now, how in the world would that happen? Well, the Erie canal in upstate New York opened in 1825. So all of these in this industry was shipped from the Brooklyn waterfront, East river, Hudson river, Erie canal, West to near Buffalo, because that's where the Erie Canal ended. And each of the Great Lakes by Buffalo are interconnected. So Brooklyn products ended up through the Great Lakes to parts of the Midwest through the Great Lakes. So eventually, of course, Brooklyn lost its title as the beer capital to Milwaukee eventually. (laughs) That's how we became the Empire City. Uh, That's right. Thousands of thought bubbles just burst above my head with all the things that you said about the piers and the beer and, and spices and the waterfront. You know, it's a shame. I, I would say the Brooklyn waterfront, its last heyday was probably World War II, and it's only now recovering. Uh, <laughs> a, that's a shame, but uh, it's it's noteworthy that it is indeed recovering with Brooklyn Bridge Park and things going on in Red Hook and uh, also in Greenpoint and, and Williamsburg, for that matter. Uh, so I would say conduce to the to the comeback taking place along the waterfront. And you mentioned spices. You know, on Franklin Avenue, the factory uh, across from the Ebbets Field Departments and formerly Ebbets Field, that's still a, a, a spice importer and exporter factory. Uh, but it is, uh, it is uh, I believe, being sold. We spoke to the uh, proprietor inside there who operates the spice operation out of there. And he, I think within two more years, uh, the place will be sold and torn down, which is a shame because that building has been there a long time. Yeah. Uh, and well, then the, you mentioned the, the beer. Yeah. No, go right ahead. I'm sorry. No. Well, beer is coming back. Is that what you were saying? There, there are breweries. Well, you know, it started well, with the true. Brooklyn that's Brewery. True about, yeah, that, it, I was about to say, you know, obviously they're, they're making all different types of beer all across Brooklyn of the craft sure. nature. Um, but it, right. if, if you can remind us that that one, you know, because you can faintly see, I mean, the, the the actual detail and sharpness of the 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 engravement is completely uh, compromised. But it says something like, what is it, Commerce Park Brewery, was it? Um, I'm not sure. But um, but the uh, Brooklyn, the industry that Brooklyn had would never be 
now or in the future um, um, replicated. It wouldn't be because because uh, we first of all we don't have the shipping now. Um, right. Bayonne, I think, was it Bayonne, New Jersey? Now is a big shipping area. Um, that that took over. But but we did, but we do have quite a few breweries in Brooklyn now. It started, I believe, uh, I believe in the 1990s with uh, the uh, Steve Hindi with the Brooklyn Brewery. You have a small brewery in Coney Island, the Coney Island Brewery, right near MCU Park, where the Cyclones play baseball, um, and there are others. And um, so, you know, the the beer brewing and uh, even whiskey is is being brewed in Brooklyn now, if, if I'm not mistaken. I would now we're we're getting on a tangent. Um, we're we're and, uh, I'll pass it over to you, Mike, and you can uh, mention this. But I just I I'd like to say too that one of I I uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but speaking of like there there are bourbons, quote unquote bourbons. Uh, being made in Brooklyn, but when you really yes. think about it, and, and Mike, I'll pass it on to you, you really can't call it, it's just a corn whiskey if you're you're thinking about it from the same way uh, rules like champagne. Uh, it has to come from Kentucky to be called bourbon. Am I, am I wrong here? No, I, I, I think you're on to something. I think you did on, uh, you know, the beer industry here in Brooklyn. That was a, a first-generation thing. You know, those people brought it over from the old country, got right. it started, and it, it proliferated here in Brooklyn, uh, as Ron says. Uh, but, you know, the beer industry, I would throw that in with the Brooklyn Navy Yard and, and the exit of the Dodgers, three three instances that just uh, ruined, not ruined, but just uh, brought this borough to its knees. And I, I would ask you now, in modern times, we, we've seen the development of downtown Brooklyn, and the skyline has indeed changed over the last 20, if you want to stretch it out, 25 years. Uh, it looks like midtown Manhattan now. <laughs> so I would ask you, you know, is, is this a comeback? Do you find this a favorable thing? And, of course, Bruce Ratner needs to be brought into the conversation because of Barclays Center, and he's, uh, you know, the developer the developer of Metrotech. So he had a lot to do with changing the skyline. So, you know, how would you compare the two and where would you say we sit currently? Well, I would think that um, the way downtown Brooklyn looks now with all these high rise apartments and and office buildings going up, um, I would like it to stay in general in downtown Brooklyn and not to go into the so-called neighborhoods of Brooklyn because you don't, I'm sure the people that are living in these neighborhoods that have one and two or three family homes, they don't want um, 15 story apartment houses uh, uh, going up in their communities. Um, you, you have, uh, there are a lot of several landmark communities in Brooklyn, like Park Slope, Borum Hill, Cobble Hill, Victorian Flatbush, and so on. And um, if you start having um, these developers coming in and buying a property adjacent to these landmark communities, it's going to change the entire character of what the way we know Brooklyn today. Now, downtown Brooklyn, that's fine. Because it was always like that. You always had theaters there. You always had office buildings there. You always had department stores there along Fulton Street. I can just name a whole slew of famous department stores all along Fulton Street. They're all gone now, except Macy's, which used to be the best department store in the whole world. Abraham and Strauss. Those of you who remember Abraham and Strauss. Now, Richard, you mentioned the Dodgers left. I say they never moved. They're on an extended road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, it's Mike, it's Mike, but I, I, you know, I didn't. Um, well, I think we'll ceremoniously call you Richard from now on, Mike. Uh, but but see, my, oh, Mike, uh, I'm Ron, sorry. I, yeah. I was wondering. If we could kind of uh, – one thing, if you've been over – I'm sure you've been on the Brooklyn Bridge since one Manhattan Plaza went up, which is now north of Manhattan – of the Manhattan Bridge on the uh, yes. 
um, in Manhattan. And I wonder, like, does this kind of bring up some old wounds when you're talking about some of those phrases about, you know, Manhattan and Brooklyn, the rivalry that has always been there, that that it's much more underground now. It's much more. I, I think what's so interesting about what happened to Brooklyn is that it's that same independent chip on its shoulder that um, that that is is there, but without anybody really completely understanding the history. So when you have somebody, when you have something like that that completely disregards what the view has been for years of of mid Manhattan with those two bridges together from the Brooklyn side of the Brooklyn Bridge. And now all of a sudden, when you're looking between uh, Dumbo buildings and you're looking at one of the pillars of the Manhattan Bridge, uh, it, it no longer has that bright, beautiful sky behind it um, as, as a perfect photo op. It has the building that completely blends itself in with the pillar of the Manhattan Bridge. It, it, have you thought about any of this? Like, you know, with you being a historian and seeing that that building go up completely ruining the photo opportunity that New York has presented to millions of tourists, billions of tourists, really, over the course of, of 50 to 70 years, uh, more, by all means. Um, what, what, what is your opinion about that? And within the, like, why isn't something like that protected, you know, when none of the other buildings around are nearly as tall as that or, or maybe go up to at most 20 stories? Well, the same thing on the Brooklyn side. Uh, two weeks ago, one of the places that my wife and I went to get out outdoors, we went to Brooklyn Bridge Park and looking north towards the Brooklyn Bridge, on the other side of the bridge is this very t- a brand new tall apartment complex that partially interferes with the, with the image of the tower of the Brooklyn side of the Brooklyn Bridge. And, of course, there was a lot of flack and uh, arguments on whether it should be allowed to be built there because it blocked the, didn't block the view, but it interfered with the view of the, you know, because it's on the other side of the bridge. It's north of the bridge. But it, it gets in the way of, uh, of the way we know the Brooklyn Bridge, which is a city, na- state, and national landmark. So, you know... It, it, I don't know what to say about it, but uh, all I know is I, I would like the, like I said, the, the residential neighborhoods of Brooklyn, the one and two and three story houses, not to be influxed with these high rises with developers coming in and wanting to, to expand. Because it, it would, first of all, it would be a strain on the electric grid, on the sewer system and so on. Because the, the taller buildings you get, you, the more electricity they need for their air conditioning. And uh, who, who knows what's going to happen if we have a heat wave. You're going to have brownouts and blackouts. It's, it's, it's a catch-22. Right. I mean, uh, it's, it's nice to have these things. But, again, unless you increase the, the potential for your electrical grid and your sewer system, it, it could create major problems. Uh, Mike, do you have anything outstanding? I know exactly what you're talking about. The building on the Manhattan side, right next to the Manhattan Bridge. Uh, that's right. an eyesore. It speaks directly to what Ron is talking about. Uh, it, it's just out of place. And uh, But you, you'd have to blame our system. <laughs> uh, as someone who lived in Germany for three years because of my service time, uh, you know, they have municipal codes that harmonize everything. They don't let you stand out like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And they don't let you pl- place these obelisks uh, that just don't belong in the middle of nowhere. Uh, a building recently went up in Sheepshead Bay here in Brooklyn on Voorhees yes. Avenue. That, yes. th- that's just out of nowhere. That is like the <laughs> monolith that they saw in Utah. It just doesn't belong there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're driving in the Belt Parkway, you see it way in the distance. It it looms out of nowhere, exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, but isn't that the history of this city? We uh, do a very poor job of preserving our history and honoring codes and looking forward 
I mean, because the architecture in Manhattan is all angular. You can only go so high here and so high there because the angle of the sun and you block it out and then you force people to live in shade, this, that, and the other. Uh, but here, you know, in, in the land of, uh, let's just call it capitalism, where independent enterprise enters uh, a plot, they're pretty much allowed to do whatever they want. Uh, and for as much as an eyesore they may create, there's nothing really to stop them. Uh, this is happening right now, by the way, Mike, in, uh, at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Right. Um, right. Uh, it's, there's a big campaign now to prevent a developer from building a high rise a block and a half away because he wants to build it. Uh, I forgot how many stories, but certain hours during the day at that height, that building is going to block sunlight from hitting the greenhouses in Prospect Park where they propagate plants that they need to replenish growth in, in, in the Botanic Garden. So it's, it's to, to save the sunlight. That's what this pr protest is. And uh, this is coming up later this, this month. There's going to be a meeting about that. Uh, precisely. And there's just not enough, uh, I, I would say, governmental oversight being flexed in these situations. It just seems like developers are allowed to run wild. Look what happened when Mayor Bloomberg uh, rezoned Williamsburg. That got somewhat out of control. Uh, the development was good, don't get me wrong. Uh, it certainly uh, elevated the area, but, uh, you know, what it did to the locals as far as uh, their tax base, their taxes, this, that, and the other, you know, it, it's, it's a tangled web we weave, but there's no oversight. Developers are allowed to come in and pretty much do what they please uh, for as long as it's not overly exaggerated, and even then that doesn't seem to stop them. Uh, whereas other places, like I said, you know, they're more uh, protective and more, more proactive in preserving the history and the character and charm of neighborhoods. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate, but that is, that is the history of New York City. We do a piss poor job of protecting our history, architecturally speaking. And I would ask yeah. you, Ron, uh, knowing what we know that this city is horrible at, at uh, uh, historical markers whereas say in pennsylvania you walk into them by accident they're everywhere what does it take and what is this city's uh aversion <laughs> towards placing historical markers where they're appropriate i am glad you brought that up because right now i am writing up notes to um have i'd love to have some markers at the location here in brooklyn of the center of where Dutch town of New Amersfoort was, which is the intersection of Flappish Avenue and Kings Highway. There's a Starbucks on one corner and a, and a bank on the opposite corner. And the center of the town of Flatbush, which was Flappish and Church Avenue, where the Dutch Reformed Church is located. That's the oldest church in Brooklyn, dates to 1654. There are no markers telling you that these were the centers of the original Dutch villages in the 1600s. There's nothing there that tells you that. I want markers there. And there, there, there are grants that are available to, to have these made. Um, and the only stipulation is they'll make it as long as the, the community or the people who are sponsoring it uh, pay for the installation of putting these up. All right. So this is something that I'm looking into. Uh, like within the last month or two, I started looking into this. Great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to a Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and we're so thankful you have been. And before we go, I, I want to ask you, Ron, about Walt Whitman. Um, and if you could remind me what year he died and whether or not he was, you know, he was around for the vote. Um, because I believe, if I remember correctly, he died in 1898. Uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure of the year he died. I'm gonna look it up right but now. But I do, but I know he was um, the 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 original Brooklyn Eagle newspaper. Um, now we have a Brooklyn Eagle newspaper now, but it's not uh, it's it's not the same. Oh, he was by, by um, the way, way way too. It was 1892. But I'm wondering whether he ever wrote anything about 
you know, obviously he was a, a big fan of Brooklyn and, and it's um, uh, the games of ball, if you will, as he once famously wrote, but, but uh, did, did he ever mention anything about that in any of his writings? Um, you know what? I don't know, but I'm sure he did because he was once the editor of the Brooklyn Eagle newspaper, which was a nationally recognized publication. Um, so in, the paper published from 1841 to 1955. So in the early years, oh, let me shut my phone off here. Hold on. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry about you can't that. <laughs> no, it's probably a robocall. It's probably a robocall. No, I'm on my cell phone. That, that, that my house phone is next right, to it. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. All right. If it's not a robocall, whoever it is is going to pull back. I had a conversation about landlines. I had a conversation about landlines this morning, so you know. <laughs> on to, but continue, but Ron. I'm sure, I'm sure Will Whitman had something to say about it. Definitely. Well, uh, I he, will pass it on to Mike before we uh, we segue off to. Anything you would want to mention about uh, Walt Whitman and uh, the city of Brooklyn he lived in? He's also buried at Greenwood Cemetery, correct? I believe so, yes. In fact, I was there la- oh. last weekend. I was there. I, um, I thought so. And so to that, I will attest to something that you mentioned earlier about Greenwood Cemetery. Before yeah. there was a Prospect Park, before there was a Central Park, New Yorkers went to Greenwood Cemetery, not just for recreation and walks, uh, you know, in, in comforting, comforting settings, but for art as well. There were no museums. Yes. So if you wanted to see real art, you went to the cemetery and you right. saw the sculptures. Young men would court their young ladies with their horse and buggy and go through the paths with the horse and buggies, you know, courting their young ladies in, 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 in Greenwood. And uh, Greenwood is a it's a national landmark, and um, they it's uh, they have they have tours. You can go on tours and and, and they take you around, and it's so popular that people are dying to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I spent many a day there. I, I love the place. I'm still exploring it, and uh, it's an enjoyable enjoyable place to be. As weird as it sounds to the listeners. It's a cemetery indeed, but it's such an enjoyable place to be. It is. It is. And it's not crowded. And if you, like I said, no. if you want to get out during this pandemic, go to Greenwood. It's free. It's open to the public and walk the path. And, and there's a, there's a, when you enter through the gate, right at the gate, there are, there's a map. You can get a map. All right. And it, it shows you where Charles Abbott is buried. There are some, there are some of the, the most astounding views. Uh, of all from all of Brooklyn, correct? That's right. The highest point in Brooklyn, geographically speaking, is in the cemetery. It's 216 feet high, and it's next to the Revolutionary War uh, monument. Um, oh, what's her name? The statue. Um, uh, I can't think of her name. Anyhow, she has her left arm raised in the air, waving to a young lady in the harbor. Lady Liberty, and Lady Liberty is waving back at her. So you can see that from that point. And just to add to that, there was a debate not too long ago, a discussion, a controversy even, about a developer looking to come in and build something that would have blocked that view and the direct waving to each other. That is exactly right. And there was so much protest that the developer was forced to downsize the building that he built. And he did that, and now the two ladies are still waving at each other. <laughs> See, so power <laughs> still is in the hands of the people, folks. That's right, absolutely. Hmm. Well, I look forward to visiting that peak. Uh, it's just amazing. It's, you know, uh, I've lived in Brooklyn arguably my entire adult life here and there, and uh, I've never been there. I'm obsessed with the place. I want to learn about the whole history, not just from a creative standpoint, but uh, from a uh, life standpoint as well. And I uh, cannot believe I've never set foot in that cemetery. So um, I need to do it before I die. Uh, So the only time (laughs) that I'm buried there isn't whatever I've written into my will. Um, Anyway, (laughs) so (laughs) 
ladies and gentlemen, uh, we greatly appreciate you listening to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. Uh, we want to thank Ron Schweiger, as always, for joining us and, and being basically our uh, open door to the history of this fine former city of Brooklyn, as I like to call it sometimes. Ron, thank you very much. My pleasure, Sam. Take care and stay safe. And, uh, and thank you very much, you as well. And the Brooklyn trolley blogger himself, Michael Colon, who's always at least the subway ride away from this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Sam. Nice, nice uh, talking with you, Mike. Likewise, Ron. Uh, just to let you know, I plan on picking your brain because uh, as you're seeking markers for certain locations, I likewise am seeking markers for baseball locations, and you know there are many. Yes, yes, of course. Okay. All right, take care, well, all. i got to well, go drive you. my son back to his apartment. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll, we'll say hi to your son for us. Uh, stay safe and healthy, and we appreciate it, Ron. Have a good one. You too. Take care, everybody. Bye now. And take, take care to all of you. We'll be back on Friday with Mr. Carl Erskine himself. Take care. Have a great one.